I'm Melina Morrison, CEO of the Business Council of Cooperatives and Mutuals. Welcome to Meet the Co-op Leaders, the podcast series that features insightful conversations with the people leading our most innovative and inspiring co-op and mutual businesses. Co-ops and mutuals are the businesses owned by members rather than shareholders. They're all around us and they include some of our biggest brand names. In fact, 80% of us are a member of at least one cooperative or mutual, but most of us don't even know that. In an age of putting purpose before profits, it's more important than ever to learn about the original people-centered business model. So we're bringing the leaders to you to tell you in their own words, what makes this a better way to do business. My co-pilot in this new series is cooperative developer, Anthony McMullen. Anthony's founder of Cooperative Bonds, a worker-owned business that was set up to help other people learn to form cooperatives. Over the next series, Anthony and I will be bringing you a new conversation with a co-op leader every couple of weeks to lift the lid on this incredible business model. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to Meet the Co-op Leaders. So tell me, who did you sit down with for this episode? I had a chat to Paul Ransom. He is the CEO of Bank of Us, the aptly named bank, Bank of Us, and it's actually Tasmania's last mutual bank. It started as a ye olde building society way back in 1870. Wow, that must be a sign of their resilience and success as a business. What does Paul put down their longevity to? Look, they've stuck to their guns, basically, and they've really thrived by, you know, continuing to offer people in Tasmania something something different. And, you know, they're keeping purpose at the heart of what they do. Great. Let's have a listen. Bank of Us is based in in Tasmania, Paul. Um, And uh, before we talk a little bit more about Bank of Us and where it comes from, um, I just wanted to start with... uh, we, we kind of come from professionally and we, we spoke last week and you mentioned that you've been the council clerk. Now, they have changed terminology, but I, I love that. And um, so what were some of the things that you learned when you were working in local government that you um, carried with you when you started to work at a mutual customer-owned bank? Yeah, no, thanks, Andy. Um, it was probably a little bit of an unusual move to change to banking, I think it probably it would be somewhat more challenging today, uh, just because of the way the sectors evolved. Um, but yeah, I guess back then when you looked at it, I mean, local government really had sort of like three key functions um, in Tasmania. Um, one was around service provision, and you think quite broadly about what councils actually have responsibility for or take on. Yeah. The second was both working um, as a regulator and within um, provision of regulating regulatory services, so you think you know, planning, building, plumbing, health, etc. Yep. And probably the third part was around development of community. So that was often you know, working with communities on particular, you know, 
plans, strategies to make communities more livable um, and to help support economic development. So I think from a lot of that involvement over 20 odd years um, in the sector, you've sort of learned to work quite strategically and mm. had to do a lot of collaboration with stakeholders within um, the council, but also more broadly government and uh, other players that were part of that, that local community. And I also probably think that some of the skills you build up during that time sort of stand you up quite well um, from a leadership point of view and coming to be involved in mutuals. And I think you did touch on it, Andy, in your presentation. It sort of sits, you know, mutuals sit somewhere between private sector and government. And yeah. you know, local government sort of sits at the lower end of government in terms of how it works. Probably it's not too far away from being a mutual, albeit it's, uh, yeah, it's a little bit different. Corporate academic Tim Mazzarol, you mentioned that um, a, a managing director or a CEO of a, of a co-op is somewhere like a cross between a CEO and a mayor. You've kind of got to have both sort of skill sets. But let's get into Bank of Us. Now, the it was originally a building society, so and it was founded in 1870. So you go back a long, long, long way. So why um, did Bank of Us stay stay a mutual from from the roots through to to where you are now? Yeah, and yeah, no, a great question. Uh, so if we go back, I mean, I won't try and dwell on this too long, but you know, 1870, there was a need for it was very difficult to get housing finance. Um, back then, so you know, a group of um, like-minded citizens effectively put together a a building society. They yeah. established it as what's called a permanent building society, which meant it could continue on. Um, whereas in there were often terminating building societies that were established for a sole purpose of helping establish a township, for example, yeah. and then they sort of they effectively ceased operating after a certain period. Um, so it was really a slow start, and it was actually called the um, the Launceston Equitable Savings Building Investment Society, so it was very uh, formal. And back then, everything was green, long names. Um, and I was interested when I saw that video you showed with Rochdale, there, there was one of them was called you know, the Equitable Pioneer Society. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Um, so equitable was a great term for the day, but it really just slowly built up a deposit base and helped fund housing finance, initially in Launceston, then grew a little, grew later on into Hobart in the sort of the, the late 80s, early 1900s. To be fair, it didn't do a lot probably for quite a while, but by the late 1960s, um, we started to see a lot more um, private housing being established. And that's where the building societies, which back then, along with the banks, were the only way you could access housing finance. Um, in Australia. So they started to come more into their own and a sister um, building society got started on the northwest coast, um, which is along, if you've been to Tassie, Devonport, through to to Wynyard. And it grew very quickly and by the late 80s it was a similar size to the much older Equitable. But, so they sort of essentially had a building society coverage within Tasmania but at the same time, the industry was changing. The 1980s brought the opening up of competition. Credit unions were started to allow to do housing finance. Yeah. Before then, it was just personal loans. 
um, non-banks were allowed to lend for housing. And there was a lot of shift in terms of how the sector was regulated. It moved from being state-based to national. And of course, we think about you know technology and what impact that's had in the sector and that required a lot of investment. So there was naturally a lot of consolidation um, across Australia, went from being thousands of mutual banking institutions to less than 70 today um, during that time. So, so the two came together um, in the late um, 1980s, um, formed Bass and Equitable. And I think that's really where the fundamental change um, came for what was a pretty a sleepy building society to something that's been um, a lot more active. And it was really founded on the principle of really strong contemporary governance mm. and staying true to what was the original purpose, which, yes, was about getting people into their own homes, mm. but we've really seen um, our members um, as our owners. Mm. And so I think if you look at the... Since then, there's been a very strong um, focus from the board on you know, getting the right directors, strong focus mm. on cultural fit, the skills and experience. Um, they've really been uh, early adopters of new governance practices. Now, I think in around 2002, we had the first female chair um, of a building society ever um, in mm. Australia. So they were, it's a small example, but I get it's, it's, a, it's a relevant one. And the board's never been afraid to be brave. And I guess the reality is we've looked at as how do we stay relevant and at times we've had to make brave decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 20 years ago we moved away from calling ourselves a building society because, you know, we just, the research we were doing, um, you know, building societies weren't well understood. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't call ourselves a bank at that point because under the until recently you had to have a certain... Um, size of capital base over 50 million we weren't there um, but by 2017 we were so um, we, we took that opportunity to really change the whole organization mm-hmm. to you know to really set ourselves up for growth and because we we're relatively small we could only really do it once um, you know we're talking for our size it was quite a substantial investment mm-hmm. to change so it was a whole business change project which focused on, you know, the culture, our people capability, products, distribution, and then the whole thing around the name. And so we went from calling ourselves at the time B&E and traded as B&E Personal Banking to Bank of Us, and that was really a deliberate research about the purpose of being there mm. for customer, community, um, and for Tasmania. And since then, you know, we've had a really great growth story. Um, it's not obviously the reason for existence, but, you know, that growth has been double-digit year on, year on, uh, over that five years. And often during that period, we've had to slow down growth because of our capital constraints. And I guess it does lead just to the last part of your question, which is about, well, why wouldn't you then go and demutualise? Um, and you obviously explained that earlier, but... Um, what it means, but I guess from the board's point of view, it's, well, we have a differentiation in market. Um, history now has left us as the only um, mutual left in Tasmania in the banking space. Mm. And our view is that provided that we can keep growing the business sustainably, 
then we can keep delivering on our purpose um, of placing people at the heart of banking. Mm-hmm. And I think that just to round off that final, disc- um, the answer is, you know, we, we often used to debate about do we call ourselves a mutual or what is it in market? And for us, we sort of landed on the simplest way to describe ourselves was as being customer owned. Yeah. So that it just sort of seemed to be the simplest way to resonate in market to help explain mm-hmm. What is different about Bank of Us to all the, the other banks that exist in, in our marketplace? Mm-hmm. And look, one of the things um, that we talked about last week, which really interested me, was um, that you've you've really gotten into back back to the roots. Really, you've gone you've really looked at affordable um, housing, and you've been doing some really interesting work in that area. Could you could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, no, happy to share. Um, it's still relatively modest at this point, but it, it goes back about 10 years ago when one of our, um, actually our SME customers was growing quite strongly who were a residential builder. And we, we had a conversation about how we could support their growth. And we effectively developed some uh, white labelled lending products that were pitched at the affordable housing space. Mm. And that company, which is called Wilson Homes and still going strong today, has been a key um, partner with us. Mm-hmm. And so we developed a couple, developed over time initially an, um, a product where it just capitalised the interest during the, the construction of a home. And anybody who's built a new home would know often, you know, you're still potentially renting somewhere while you're building that home. So, you know, it starts to become quite onerous if you've got to then find the additional money for your as your repayments start while you're still renting till you can move in. So that proved to be very popular. And then more recently we moved to a, another product um, where effectively you just pay a small upfront deposit and the Wilsons capitalise the interest in their actual building costs during that period. So that's also been a been a great product. But more recently um, we've been keen to get into the shared equity space with mm. the Tasmanian government and they'd run a long-term scheme uh, which Bendigo used to provide but they did do a major review um, several years ago and with some ongoing advocacy we ultimately got an opportunity to pitch for that business along with with others and we've we did get awarded that scheme and what we've been able to do working with the government is to expand the scheme to now provide opportunities for people to access shared equity for not only the tr- the original purpose of the scheme, which was about you know a director of housing property or new house and land packages, but now to existing dwellings in the market, which we all appreciate is the biggest part of the market and is a more traditional space for first home buyers to participate in. So we're finding you know we've been doing that now for three or four months, and we've had um, fantastic inquiry levels and you know it is really um, growing quite quickly but it's interesting because I think for as a uh, as a customer owned bank one of the benefits we brought to the table for the government is um, a really good understanding about how we deliver a much better customer experience yeah. so we've been able to help them improve significantly the process yeah. which will you know, I'm sure also help us with the scheme, but get more people uh, to be able to access the housing market. 
And you know, I think that just as you start to look at those opportunities, we're starting to see other opportunities now emerge um, that could see us doing more in the space like under the NDIS scheme with yes. access for housing for people with a disability. So I think it's certainly a, uh, as we know, it's a very topical subject. Yep. But I think we're, we are well placed as a sector to do some innovative work across that to make a difference. That was a fascinating conversation, Anthony. I love that they are still focused on people's housing needs after more than 150 years. Yeah, look, it's it's this story I think that we hear from a lot of co-ops and mutuals. They've got this original commitment to make a difference, to actually ad- address a problem. And, you know, we've had issues around housing, um, ups and downs over many years. And now they're doing things to meet the housing needs of people in their community as part of a, a broader cooperative and mutual uh, approach to these problems. They're being part of the solution. I grew up in Tasmania. It is a beautiful island and it has a great sense of community. I really felt the community values shine through in your interview with Paul. Thanks again, Anthony. I can't wait for the next conversation. Well, we'll be talking to the legendary Lynn McLennan, a character, an innovator um, and a really successful CEO, CEO of UFS dispensaries, UFS standing for United Friendly Society. So they're keeping it friendly. Thanks for listening to this episode of Meet the Co-op Leaders. To learn more about the purpose and incredible variety of cooperatives and mutuals, please visit our website, bccm.coop, that's C-O-O-P. As the original social business, cooperatives and mutuals offer genuine solutions to some of the most significant challenges in the world today. So if you've enjoyed today's conversation, please share it with your friends and colleagues so that they can learn more about the cooperative difference. And remember, in a world of crisis and uncertainty, we will always be stronger together. I'm Melina Morrison, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Meet the Co-op Leaders.